Hello and welcome to the Fat Moon Podcast, a platform for creative therapists to connect and learn from each other. My name is Kirsty Green, and I'm an art therapist with a passion for bringing together community. Each Fat Moon episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing a creative therapist from around the globe. The intention is to offer listeners insight into our peers' pathways, professions, and interests in methodologies. It's my hope that this podcast inspires and educates the collective by building bridges between our disciplines, settings, experiences, and our cultures. The Fat Moon podcast is created, recorded, and inspired on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to elders past and present and to any Aboriginal people listening today. So welcome all. Please enjoy today's guest and our rich discussion. Hello and welcome to the Fat Moon Podcast. Today's guest is Nadia Suhali from Brunei, an art therapist specializing in depression, anxiety, stress, trauma, grief, and disability. She has experience working in hospitals and within the community and more recently working in cancer care and chronic pain. Welcome, Nadia. Hi, nice to, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet nice you to too. <laughs> How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. Let's get thanks started. with. Me. Oh, pardon? Oh, so thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for saying yes. <laughs> Let's get started with some questions around your background and your pathway to becoming an art therapist. Okay, so um, I've been working as an art therapist for four years. Um, Before this, I was actually, uh, I studied my master's in mental health in Australia, Brisbane. I was there for about two years. And, but before that, uh, I was just, an art student. I majored in art and creative technology. Um, I practically at that time have not heard of art therapy at all. So I wasn't exactly planning to go into the route of art therapy. I think it was during my second year of my bachelor's study where um, I did an attachment in one of our local hospitals for one of the occupational, occupational therapy unit. Um, and I found it really interesting where um, working with individuals, helping them with their daily routine and kind of just listening to their stories, um, I found it very, very interesting. And I think I've always been somebody who is, who's always been interested in, in engaging with others. Um, I've always done a lot of community work while uh, working with autistic children and adults and so one day, <laughs> I actually just Googled um, art therapy, I mean, art jobs. I Googled art jobs, and there were a list of art jobs, but it was mostly graphic designer, art teacher, a photographer, and it just seemed very, um, it didn't seem like what I wanted. And at the bottom of the list, I saw art therapy. Uh, so when I looked at what art therapy was, thinking that it was um asking people to draw, watching them create art, and then analyzing it. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. I was wrong. <laughs> it was so <laughs> far off. It was so different from what I had thought. And it was, it opened my eyes to this new field where I can actually incorporate 
um, art, which is something that I've always loved since I was young. And engaging with people, talking to people, um, helping them, but uh, understanding them and getting them to understand themselves. So yeah, that's how I got into art therapy. So I was in University of Queensland. Um, it was great. I did my placements in Brisbane. I did one year in acute mental health hospital and also in community care. And then another half of my year was um, uh, in an elderly folks home. It was really pleasant. I loved my experience there. And I think that uh, it really, really opened my eyes to how big of a field it is. <laughs> um, yeah. When I was studying yeah. it, it just seemed like, okay, um, you help them, uh, you kind of guide them through the process. It seemed very structural when I was studying it. But when you apply it into practice, it was... Um, because it feels like it has a life of its own, like the therapy itself, even though you have and you kind of have to um, secure and contain um, the therapy, the clients and um, whatever that you're kind of talking about and discussing um, is still very organic in its own way. And I think that's what I love because every session in a way, it's quite different. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Very unexpected each time. Yes. Mm. So that was my experience in Australia. Um, because I was still a student, I couldn't really dive deep into it because I was still supervised and I was mostly with another art therapist or a psychologist or a social worker. So when I came back to Brunei after I graduated, I was so ready to look for jobs. <laughs> I was so ready mm -hmm. Um, kind of go straight into this but um, oh, so a little backstory about Brunei um, it's a little country in Southeast Asia it's on Borneo Island uh, it's kind of wedged in between Malaysia we have a, approximately the population of like 450,000 it's really small <laughs> and <laughs> teeny teeny tiny <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. majority of us are Muslim, so it's a Muslim country, and uh, it's majority Malay, but we do have a mix of culture where we have Chinese, Indians, Indonesian, Filipinos, but they are the minorities. The majority of us are mostly Muslims, and coming back, uh, it's <laughs> it was very difficult because nobody had heard what of, of art therapy except maybe for a few healthcare professionals, but um, they couldn't open a new position for me. <laughs> they couldn't, uh, you know, create jobs for me, right? So I got into a private practice um, where I was mostly working in com a community setting and. I was mostly seeing teenagers who were experiencing depression and anxiety. So I work really closely with teenagers and their parents, kind of just um, mostly educating the parents because in Brunei, uh, mental health wasn't a really big, uh, it's not a really big, in a sense, issue that people would focus on. People are still, it's a very taboo topic and People are still very reserved and they're too afraid in this, in a sense. So this is back in 2019. People are so very reserved 
very shy and uncomfortable to even acknowledge that they have any sort of mental health difficulties or they're facing even the slightest bit of anxiety and they just kind of need to talk to somebody about it. <laughs> uh, I was so I was working with you know a few people in a week, but I needed to engage myself more because it was the traffic wasn't as great as I thought. I felt that I wasn't really moving forward, so it was a big struggle. I think that there were weeks where I couldn't see any clients, and um, at a point in time, I thought to myself, "Oh, uh, I, I kind of, I kind of doubted myself." and whether I could actually make this work in Brunei, but I just kind of just pushed through. I didn't want to fixate on, no, I can't do it. <laughs> um, so there was an opening in one of our hospi local hospital. It's a specialist center where it focuses on neuro neurological um, disorders, cancer, and also uh, maxillofacial, but the job opening that I saw was for a rehab assistant and their physiotherapist. <laughs> okay. I just, yeah, I just took the plunge. I applied with no history and no background in physiotherapy or um, rehabilitation <laughs> in that sense. But I got it. I got the job. And so I was a rehab assistant for two years. And I think that it really, really helped because one, the team that I was in were so helpful and they were so interested in my background as an art therapist and they were really interested in how art could be incorporated into physiotherapy. So I've mm. actually spent two years as a rehab assistant working really closely with art, um, working really closely with the physiotherapist in incorporating art in the physical recovery and rehabilitation of stroke patients. Oh, amazing. You got to apply yeah. it and demonstrate it. And, oh, wow, yeah. you're a pioneer in Brunei. Amazing. <laughs> I guess yeah. you could say that. <laughs> yes, you could say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was really, really fascinating because in 2019, there were not many research in art therapy and stroke. Uh, in comparison to now, there are a lot more. So mm -hmm. at that time, I was really struggling to figure out how could I prove myself and how could I prove to people that art is of value, whether it's um, just to help with their physical recovery or whether it's for their mental health aspect, right? Uh, so I actually applied the expressive therapist continuum. It really, really helped um, because it kind of gives the guideline of um, the... So there was that kinesthetic, there's the sensory, and there's like the whole um, tactile uh, aspect to the expressive therapist continuum. And it was more formatted than the usual um, psychotherapy aspect of art therapy, right? And that works very well in a stroke setting where you can see how um, functional their upper limbs work. So for example, if somebody comes in with very little upper limb function and they're only able to kind of pinch a little bit, you can kind of get them to slowly pinch on clay and that really helps because there's still that tactile sensation. They can still feel the cold, the, 
coldness of the clay or the stickiness of the clay and it kind of makes them feel happy that they can pinch something so soft and the more they pinch something the more they can they're, they're able to you know actively do more things gradually as it progresses and it's the same with painting so i've seen some of my patients go from i had to use to tape my paint brushes onto my patient's hand and all they could do was very rigidly move maybe about 45 degrees to them doing like full range of motion in the, while standing up and painting. And that was so rewarding to see. I imagine, I imagine that would have been such a beautiful experience for, for yourself and for your clients. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, so I think because of that, it kind of picked up um, uh, some of my, some of the hospital directors started picking picking it up <laughs> and they started noticing that, oh, there is this girl doing this with art, with our patients and uh, it's going really well because I also was involved in um, our big events, for example, like stroke day and for two and disability day for two years. And I exposed and I showed off the artworks that our patients did and they also got to talk about it with me. And uh, I, in a way, I guess, uh, accidentally created my own position. <laughs> yes, as a lot of art therapists do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So one wow. day I got it. Yeah, it was really, really rewarding. And I was so glad that I think the team that I was in was so willing to let me just experiment <laughs> but with mm -hmm. their supervision. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, because you've come with that um, evidence-based research, you've got mm -hmm. the artwork to demonstrate, you've got the, the, the patient's feedback. Um, yeah, you have so much so much behind you to solidify um, the benefits yeah. of what you're offering and the practice of art therapy. Congratulations. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah. But little did I know that was just the start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. So what are you up to now? What, what, what are you, what are you doing now? So I still do see quite a number of stroke patients, but I don't see them for the physical recovery and rehabilitation anymore. I mm -hmm. see them mostly to help them um, express themselves because there are a lot of aphasic stroke patients. So these people are, they have difficulties in expressing themselves. They can't speak what they're thinking and they can't, and they get really, really frustrated. So I can imagine how difficult and I mean, and even exhausting it would be to try to get somebody else to understand you when you can't even speak and you can't find the right words to form it. So I see these people to kind of help them use pictures instead. And sometimes even I incorporate a little bit of music, but um, not so much, uh, but it really helps. And it helps them to kind of communicate with their family members or even to communicate with communicate their thoughts and how they feel. Yeah. And I also help them with, or I also help um, people who are cognitively impaired hmm, because I've okay. noticed that um, it really helps them to kind of uh, 
because there's the whole neuroplasticity thing with stroke where it's good to get them exposed to doing different different activities so art was one of the things where it comes it comes kind of naturally but at the same time it requires a lot of um, critical thinking it requires a lot of movement and it requires a lot of analyzing and observation so that really helps with the cognition aspect of stroke patients and that really greatly improves their recovery process i would say much faster um, when it comes alongside with occupational therapy and physiotherapy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so other than stroke, uh, I've been seeing a lot of individuals who experience a seizure as well, uh, especially adolescents. I was quite surprised by the number of adolescents who experience seizures. And mostly for that, it's to help them regulate their emotions and to understand and identify when they feel a certain way, but also at the same time to just listen to them as individuals because most of the time when these teens experience their seizures, they feel so different and they feel really isolated because a lot of their friends would be afraid of them. They're not afraid of them per se, but afraid of when they experience the seizures, they don't know what to do and they they feel like they're outcasts. So it's just to kind of help them with their confidence to validate them and to tell them that it's okay. And no matter, regardless of how difficult their situations are, um, there are ways to kind of go about it as well. But it's still a tricky aspect for me to kind of just, it's, I'm still figuring things out for that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. So there's also, I've also recently been working with um, palliative patients and also individuals who are going through chemotherapy, so cancer care. Um, This has been quite challenging, especially seeing palliative patients because, you know, it's the end of life. Uh, How can you make them comfortable while they are still in pain and they're very weak, but I think I'm uh, seeing cancer patients uh, really open my heart in that sense where you see them in bed, you see them really tired, and you see how exhausted, how lifeless they could be. But once you bring in the activities, they still try and they push themselves. And I constantly think, wow. <laughs> can't believe that you know you're willing to spend even 10 minutes with me going through all of your physical discomfort having to kind of sit up a little despite all the pain that you're going through just to try to create art just to paint or just play with clay but I do notice that it gives them that temporary relief to just feel that oh, I'm just the person making something instead of I'm a an individual with cancer <laughs> and yeah. I am I, I'm in I'm unable to do anything yeah yeah it adds mm-hmm. to the identity doesn't it yeah yes it and does. spending time with yourself as well <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's just uh, really it's really really sad to see from my perspective because it is my first time working with cancer care and um I think that has been very difficult for me to kind of cope with. I think especially seeing really, really young people in palliative care because they've just started 
they're they're just starting life but at the same time they are ending their life and having to get them through and process grief and help their family and process through grief itself it's mm-hmm. something that's very tricky you kind of have to thread very lightly but at the same time i have to remind myself that um i'm there for them and i have to give them that safe space and if i start doubting myself and show this doubt within the session uh, they would feel insecure as well so i need to bring that form of security in the life where there is no security <laughs> mm. yeah. mm-hmm. wow that's really really big work really big work yeah. um just just changing actually no we could stay on the topic there with um maybe your self-care rituals what 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 it is you do to take care of yourself considering these things you've just spoken about mm. so i've recently gotten into supervision so um, because mm. because I'm the only art therapist here, it's been very hard for me to find a supervisor. And I've tried reaching out to different, uh, even psychologists and counselors, but I think that their field of work, it's still very, very different from how it applies to art therapy. So I actually reached out to a wonderful lady called Amanda Woodford uh, from Inanzakata. She has been my supervisor for a few months now, and it really helped and I think that um, I really advocate for super going through supervision. And I don't know how I went through su- two to three years without it, because I would say that's such negligence on my part for my self-care. And yeah, just having somebody to guide you through the whole process. But that's the professional aspect of self-care. But in my personal life, I've gotten into clay like um what's it called polymer clay i've been making little jewelry (laughs) it's really gorgeous yeah Yeah. i think just being able to kind of make something that i can wear and make little cute things i can give people seeing their reactions it makes me really happy (laughs) yeah that's beautiful adorning yourself with your own art that's gorgeous yeah So what is it that you like about being an art therapist? I, I, I guess it goes back to you know, engaging with others, but uh, I think that it's allowed me to give myself more boundaries. I would say before becoming an art therapist, I had no boundaries and I, I don't set my own boundaries. I would let people pour their hearts out and um, it wore me out. <laughs> It didn't allow, I didn't allow myself to stop um, others and to tell myself that, okay, I cannot take this anymore. But after working with so many people and um, becoming an art therapist, I've realized I have more self-awareness and I've understood that um, there's only so much a person can take. And I am allowed to have this boundary of, I need my own space and I will still help you, but... um, I can't help you all the time. And yeah, I think it's definitely the boundary that I've learned being an art therapist. Mm. Mm, Fantastic. And just to close, would you have any advice for any up-and-coming art therapists? Oh, um, 
definitely push through. Um, if you feel that you know you're not enough or that um, uh, what's that called imposter syndrome <laughs> if you're mm-hmm. experiencing the imposter syndrome because I've definitely experienced it for three years four years I still do sometimes now but um, you have to realize that uh, you are making an impact in every individual's lives that you've worked with regardless whether you realize it or not and they may not exactly tell you but from time to time you can see once they start either changing their routine or they start kind of just even uh, acknowledging their self-care self-love or self-acceptance once you start seeing changes in your clients and that's when you know that you know you're doing your job (laughs) it takes time and it's still always good to you know, research, do some research, read up on, even brush up on old frameworks that you've learned in uni because I do forget sometimes and it's still good to kind of go back to the basics and to just read through and just remind myself this is where I come from and to not get uh, lost in um, all the other aspects of healthcare that you would be so exposed to because there's this tendency to, okay, I work with physiotherapy. I'm, I want to kind of help them like how the physiotherapy helped, physiotherapist would help them. Oh, I need to help them like how the occupational therapist would help them. I need to see results and goals. But in reality, that's, we don't need to see that fixed result or goal. And you just have to remember that you're there for your clients emotionally, mentally, you're there for their well-being. Yeah. yeah. And I think as well, you are a example of what persistence and consistency, mm-hmm. showing up, um, you know, can can achieve because you've you've developed roles of art therapy within Brunei. Yes. whole country yeah. <laughs> very small country but yes <laughs> yeah. oh thank you so much it's been such a joy talking to you today um thank you so much for having thank me thank you for your time yeah um i wish you well with the the next chapter of your endeavors in brunei thank you <laughs> i hope that will be bigger things and i hope that in the future there will be more art therapists as well Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I see you supervising down the track. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Nadia. Enjoy your day today. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Fat Moon Podcast. It's my pleasure to provide space for us to listen and learn from each other. If you wish to support the Fat Moon Podcast further, please give the show a review and a like. You can also head on over to the Patreon page and check out other ways you can support this project. Any of the topics that we discussed today will be linked in the show notes and you can find all the avenues to connect with today's guest. Finally, if you would like to be interviewed or have a creative therapist you would like to learn more about, please reach out and send your suggestions. So until next time, thank you. Take good care. Remain curiously creative and remember to rest.